Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's virtual plant clinic. My name is Bill Lester. I'm with the University of Florida Extension Service here in Hernando County. And we have a pretty full room here today because joining me is my regular co-host, Lily Browning. She's the Hernando County Florida Friendly Landscape Coordinator. And coming back and joining us for the second time, I think, today mm -hmm. is Jeremy Roden who is with University of Florida Extension up in Marion County, up in Ocala. And he's the, I guess, urban horticulture agent and master yep. gardener coordinator. Yep. Okay. So he does my job basically up there in Marion County, up in Ocala. And Jeremy has a great background picture. You can see that Lily and I couldn't figure out how to do the background picture. <laughs> Jeremy figured it out of a very, very nice, wow, very clean greenhouse operation also i know it's important to keep them clean and that one looks very good <laughs> so hey guys if anybody has any long garden questions or anything please put them in the chat and we'll get to them as quickly as we can but uh so in the university system um are you aren't you jeremy's mentor yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeremy got me as his mentor. So. <laughs> He's been a great mentor. <laughs> Seems like you're doing a pretty good job. Hey, Monique. Absolutely. Who said no, you need to stay? I'm the mentor for two people, and I get so lucky because the people that I get are the overachievers that are never a problem. I never get <laughs> the difficult ones that I have to kind of carry and come on now, we need to do our paperwork and we need to do this and we need to teach a class. And these guys are great. I always get the best ones. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> Monique ran away. Yeah, Monique must be up in North Carolina, maybe yeah, because the hurricane was initially coming here and she decided to stay oh, up no, there. No, no, she, I think she's on vacation. Um, I don't know what's happening to all those puppies that she watches. She has a... Um, uh, obviously some kind of business where she has all kind of cute puppies at her house all the time. <laughs> well, I was up in Savannah a few weeks ago and I was figuring initially, okay, September, October and Savannah, it's probably going to be beautiful. It was the exact same temperature up there as it was here. Oh, it's hot uh, in Savannah. It is hot, 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 hot. That's why sure. I only go, um, if I go to Savannah, I like to go in early spring <laughs> or, or late fall so I can really enjoy it. We had a presentation from the University of Georgia's head historian that covers Savannah. Talk about some of the history of Savannah and all the wacky families and people that have lived there for hundreds of years in the beginnings of Savannah. <laughs> he said the best time to go up there is December. Hmm. By far the best time to visit. Oh, Savannah. I thought it would be beautiful all dressed for Christmas, too. Yeah, and it's not very cold, and there's no mosquitoes or bugs. They're all gone in December. Hmm. Okay, sounds nice. Although I would like to go still in the spring to see all the azaleas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure North Carolina is probably beautiful now. Let's see, early okay. October. Yeah, they're cooling off a little bit. I mean, they probably they're not at the peak of their uh, leaf time, but also I went last year. We went to Tennessee to the Smoky Mountains around the like the 16th through the 20th. It was beautiful, but don't do that <laughs> because 
everybody does that. We couldn't get to the top of the Klingman's Dome. There's too many people. And it was still kind of during, you know, COVID time. So even though we were outside, like we're not getting around all these people. And could barely do it. <laughs> so that's why we're going to the mountains at Thanksgiving uh, this year. <laughs> so. Yeah, we thought about the mountains of North Georgia over Thanksgiving, but are not able to go. Um, yeah. Although, I don't know, anything really below 50 is really, really chilly. Below 40 is just freezing, and I think I'm going to die. I rented a big house in um, the mountains of Tennessee and invited everyone, all the kids and grandkids, and it's turned into sisters and nieces and other <laughs> various people. So should be a lot of fun. Gosh, I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> I would enjoy going to the mountains when it's chilly, not cold, definitely not snowy, but chilly and just enjoying the peace and quiet up yes. there, and which you will not be getting. It's it's quiet at my house every day. It's so empty. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Jeremy, until people start getting over their shyness here and asking some lawn and garden questions, if anybody has any, and if you do, go ahead and put them in the chat, and we'll go ahead and do our very best to answer them between all of us. What are you doing up there in Marion County? What kind of classes are you teaching? What are you kind of focusing on for public education? So um, currently we, I have a class coming up next week on strawberry gardening since we're right in the season of getting strawberries started. Um, so that's a lot of fun. We're also uh, training a new cohort of Master Gardener volunteers at the time. We have about um, 20 individuals who are taking the class to become Master Gardener volunteers, uh, and that's been going pretty strong. We also have a hydroponic program that's going on right now for DIY home hydroponics and for hobbyists uh, that will eventually lead into a spring series that we're doing on a little bit more advanced hydroponics, but still catered to homeowner and hobbyists as opposed to commercial growing. But that's pretty much where our focus has been lately. Of course, we're always doing things with Florida-friendly landscaping. Uh, which is always a, a very popular topic in our area um, with all of the HOAs we have coming and already there and everything else in Marion County. So, yeah, you guys are growing very quickly up there like we are. Absolutely. It is certainly growing. Every day I feel like there's a new one <laughs> popping up. You have a portion of that very large community there in um, Central Florida. Um, yeah, you have part of the villages. Is, is mm -hmm. that still expanding there? Yep. So uh, the very north part of the villages are in Marion County. And mm -hmm. so and they are reaching out to us more and more, which just so happens to be on the very southern part of our county. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're reaching out to us on a regular basis to come do presentation on our presentations on various topics. And so we are currently in the and with our speakers bureau trying to create a team specifically catered to the south end of the county because we're getting so many requests for that area and most of our individuals are further up north or or uh, northwest of the county so 
Um, we're trying to expand our program to get more master gardeners in from other parts of the county, but also to have a stronger presence down in South Marion. Is that like the Summerfield area? Mm -hmm. yeah. Summerfield, yep, right around that area, Summerfield, uh, Lake Weir area, uh, trying to get more of a presence there. We have started a couple, we have a satellite plant clinic now that's every other week at the Bellevue, which is Bellevue Public Library, which is somewhat south. Um, and then we also have a satellite clinic at Denellen Public Library, and we have three other satellite clinics at other libraries around the county that will be starting in January. Um, Denellen confuses. Um, confuses me. So it is Marion County or is it Levy County or does it stretch? Denellen. So Denellen yeah. is actually, um, it's all Marion County. Oh, okay. um, Morrison area, I, I believe, is still Levy County, but as you're heading down on that road. I can't remember what the actual county road is there, but it goes into Marion County. And so Denellen is our furthest west community in Marion. Okay. Hey, we have a question here. Ann Gale, how are you this morning? I know mm -hmm. Ann Gale. She works with Renando County. Um, she is trying to incorporate ground cover in areas of her spring hill lawn that are hard to grow grass i think i've used a juniper it has been slow to fill in it's been over two years and still has not grown together to create a full bed is this normal what do you think oh the um what is it the seashore juniper sure juniper yeah 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 the, the low growing I have found with juniper, it either takes off great or it does nothing. It does not want to be watered. I mean, you need to establish it. It's a fine line with juniper because you do need to establish it. But if it's on your irrigation system, cap it off is what I would say. What about you guys? Yeah, because I lived in a house once before that had the juniper and it was in a very, very shady spot where it was never sunny. It was shady all day long. And it grew over the sidewalk and it would rot. It would get black yeah. and slimy and nasty. Spider mites. Spider mites are usually yeah. a thing with juniper. Yes, yeah, so the juniper needs a good sunny spot and it's a fairly slow grower. And if you keep it way too wet or if it's in way too shady of a spot, it's going to get, it'll actually, the undersides will get really nasty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would give it some more time, but um, after the two years, it does not want to be on your irrigation system. You will kill it with your irrigation system. So if there is a way to, you know, water the rest of your lawn and not that portion, it might make it a lot happier and start spreading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, I'd probably, probably fertilize it lightly in the spring. I wouldn't bother fertilizing it now. Because we're heading into winter right now. And as we, you, you hit on something when you said it likes full sun, she may have put it there because the turf wouldn't grow because it's not full sun. Mm -hmm. So if that is the case, then, um, oh, it's in full sun, she mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're watering at all, if you are watering the juniper at all, you're watering it too much. <laughs> that's, that's how juniper works. Yeah, people don't realize there's a lot of plants in your yard that do just fine on natural yeah, rainfall. Trees, after, you, after a tree is established, you don't have to go out there and run sprinklers on it and fertilize it all the time. 
Trees will do just fine once they're established. A lot of ground covers will do just fine after they're established. Jeremy, do you live in a house where you have a really nice lawn and you use irrigation? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Um, it's like I tell my master gardener volunteers all the time when they ask when they're going to come do a garden tour at my house. <laughs> um, I My demonstration garden at the office keeps me <laughs> super busy. So no, I'm, our lawn is pretty decent. Um, when we moved into our home, I live in Gainesville, even though I um, work in Marion, but um, it was already uh, pre-planted with St. Augustine sod, but we have four ginormous oak trees, live oak trees in our front yard. So we have had patches that have died out and I have been considering planting some type of ground cover under those. Two of the trees we've planted, gosh, probably close to 150 to 200 beautiful big red caladium bulbs underneath there and every year mm -hmm. they fill out around those trees and just look absolutely gorgeous um and of course they just all died back here recently um so now it just looks like a big dead patch again <laughs> uh, but i kind of uh rake up a lot of the oak leaves around there to kind of make it look nice and kind of look like a mulch you know use it as a, a natural mulch and it looks pretty decent when the caladiums aren't growing out but um you know, you I don't irrigate our yard. Over um, your lawn. What's that? You don't fret over your lawn. I don't. Um, I don't irrigate the lawn at all. In fact, we've lived here for five years and I've never irrigated the lawn. Um, my backyard is a different story. I, I mean, we don't irrigate that as well. But um, when we purchase the house, that's my only sunny spot because the front yard is where all the big oak trees are. And I'm big into pollinator gardening and, and bird gardening. And so my backyard um has a lot of the flowers and everything you can think of for birds we're a certified monarch way station um and so i've actually taken out most of the grass that's back there to make more room for flower beds to plant more beds and and water features and things of that nature and to be quite honest it, it looks a lot nicer in my opinion and it's a lot easier to maintain because i'm not having to mow anything i don't have to buy fertilizers anything of that nature so um and i enjoy it i have butterflies and birds out there hummingbirds every single day of the week so it's really nice yeah i asked because both lily and i kind of proudly have freedom lawns that we don't fertilize we don't water don't do anything yeah. to i have big areas of the turkey tangle fog fruit or frog fruit whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. oh my gosh the backyard of the dog area is packed full of the um what are the well, i know there's a couple species of small orange and black butterflies that live on them i have yeah. a million in my oh, oh, there's the butterflies are just starting to come out there's the fayon crescent the buckeye and the um crescent white i think peacock, white mm -hmm. peacock are the three the white peacocks come out very very last they come out late and they're just coming out now but the dogs are just you know the that's <laughs> there's butterflies flying around their heads and they don't know what to do and yeah, you know, I'm not going to spend my money and I spend my time on the vegetable garden, trying to put in edibles, trying to cut my freedom lawn, which grows like crazy during the summer, but it's finally slowing down. Mm -hmm. so, We're going to have a class much. on freedom lawns on October 19th, Dr. Lester and I at 10 o'clock. We are. Um, we're having a class on check freedom lawns. <laughs> What was that? Check your schedule. Okay. Well, I hey, it is on my schedule. So <laughs> we'll be there. That that one I would like for you to be there, but it's not as much. I, I don't panic about it like I did with the one we just did, which was natural products for pest control or things that get really, you know, more that you need that uh, doctorate and 
plant pathology. <laughs> That's when he, you know, I panic if he says he won't be there. But <laughs> And if you ever want to watch any of those classes, we do all of them online. And we, you know, I can't think of anywhere we forgot to hit the record button. So we do record all of them. Yeah, I've almost maybe. forgotten to record them, but we hit record and record all of them. I think one time in the beginning when COVID first started and we um, were new to all this, I did forget to hit record. So after I gave the class, I had to do the class again just just that nobody so it would be recorded and be able to put up. So yeah, if you go to YouTube and look for Hernando County Government YouTube uh, channel, there's a couple different playlists on there. One of them is for Florida Friendly Landscaping and one of them is for Extension. So my classes are there and Lily's classes are there and all these different classes we're referring to you can watch. Mm -hmm. um, but Sam had a question about strawberries. Did you see that? Yes. Let me go back to comments. So Basem asked, what is a good soil for containers to plant strawberries? Good thing Jeremy's here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink while Jeremy talks. <laughs> well, so um, typically strawberries like to be planted in a sandy loam soil. However, most like of the bags of soil that you find in any like box stores such as Lowe's, Home Depot, anything of that nature. Those potting soil mixes do pretty well for strawberries. I've had a lot of success with them. I know our master gardeners have had success with them. It's not going to be quite what you find in the ground in terms of sandy loam soils, but I mean it works very well and sometimes even better than what's in the ground because you can, it comes already pre-created or a recipe pre-made to have success for growing crops like those. Um, so any type of potting mix uh, specifically for vegetables will do pretty well. Um, that would be my recommendation. I don't think that one is going to be as particular as something like growing um, succulents where there is a specific type of uh, media that you need to use for that. But um, I've had plenty of success growing uh, with just regular potting mix that I've gotten from any garden center. Yeah, that's what most commercial growers are going to use also because strawberries can do really well in containers mm -hmm. and they do really well in the vertigro towers that are right behind Jeremy. The um, <laughs> the pole with the white square pots on it that, that are made mm -hmm. out of styrofoam. That's what a lot of commercial strawberry growers right use. Mm -hmm. They do really well in those towers. We've grown several rows of towers of strawberries, um, growing them in coconut core, which is a, considered a hydroponic media, rice holes. Uh -huh. Uh, perlite, things of that nature. They do really well. Corey, we missed you last week. You must not have had um, electricity because we redid the plant clinic. <laughs> Didn't we, Dr. Lester? Yeah, yeah. I mean, goodness knows for a day or two, I got steady light rain and wind, but it never got strong enough to damage anything or blow anything over no. just, you know breezy and even though um county offices weren't open bill and i were like yeah let's do the plant clinic it's getting tired of watching the coverage on tv anyway, <laughs> yes but jeremy do you know of anywhere where people could purchase strawberry plants at this point I know um, so yeah you know i've i've gotten at least four calls in the past two weeks about that 
Um, and what I'm hearing is that people are going to a lot of those garden centers, like those box store garden centers, and the ones that they're seeing are just really not ideal or in good condition, or they just have been out of them. Um, the only local grower I know of close by, um, aside from those box stores, Vertigro, which are the, they're based in Summerfield. They're the hydroponic towers that are in my background. Um, they're based in Summerfield and Marion County. And this week and next week, I believe, are his two biggest weeks of the year in terms of selling strawberry plugs. So I do believe he has a whole bunch on hand right now. Um, if you're interested in purchasing them, I don't know his prices, but uh, give him a call. Tim Carpenter is his name. He's the owner there. And um, they plan a whole bunch and have a whole bunch already at this time of year. So mm -hmm. if you can't okay, find yeah, them, I got an email about that the other day. And I know if, if you go online, they're all sold out. They're sold yeah. out. Yeah, online. I know. That's what I've been hearing from everyone. And and it's just crazy. I feel like there's, I mean, this is my first year in extension, but I mean, I couldn't believe how many calls I've been getting about locating them. And I guess at one point in time, Marion County Master Gardeners used to sell strawberry plugs as a ongoing fundraiser we had during the month of October. But, and that's probably why they're calling us, <laughs> but we don't have them at this time, so. Yeah, do you guys still sell the um, sweet potato slips in the spring? We do. Um, I think the sales have ended for this year, I oh. believe. But uh, Mark Bailey, who is our small farms agent in our office, he typically um, is over that. And he has to get orders in advance before placing the order to have them delivered here. So, Well, I started sweet potatoes this year and got them in a little late because I didn't have the, the area dug and prepared for them to go in. So it's a fairly small patch. But I did start with like three grocery store sweet potatoes, half buried in a pot, and they're still sending up shoots. And I'm thinking, oh, wow. I wonder if I can keep a bunch of shoots going all winter long <laughs> and then stick them in the ground in the spring. So I'm going to try that. Maybe yeah. if you had a greenhouse. Oh, if I had a greenhouse, <laughs> I'd, I'd be in trouble. I'd be out there all the time. <laughs> we were actually clearing out uh, three raised beds in our demonstration gardens yesterday. They're each 16 foot long by four foot. And they're all full of sweet potatoes that were planted three years ago. And they pull everything up repeatedly every season and they just grow back like crazy. So I always recommend if people are gonna start with sweet potatoes for their first time growing, try them in a pot first, see how well they do in the big pots. And if they get enough that way and keep doing it that way, unless they want it to <laughs> continuously grow back over and over again in the same place. Yeah, if you plant them once, you pretty much have a permanent patch. You'll have at least a few that are going to come back the next year. Absolutely. There's a lot. Hey, in your demonstration gardens, I assume that they do have patches where they grow vegetables? Yeah, we have have what? I'm sorry. Oh, patches where they grow oh. vegetables? Yep, so we have a vegetable plot, a vegetable garden plot, um, and we're actually creating a small-scale homeowner hydroponic plot right now also. Have they been right now any kind of hydroponics anything that you know um seems to be like i just lost the word where um <laughs> the big thing right now where everyone wants to plant all the edibles in their house in their yard in their land oh like permaculture and edible landscaping that's that's the word yeah we yeah different layers Mm -hmm. and yeah the, like food forests and all that mm -hmm. yeah we have had uh, quite a bit of interest in that um 
I know Mark Bailey and our FFL agent, Amanda Merrick, uh, they have been leading an edible landscape class over the year. Um, that's been kind of ongoing. And then they've also offered new classes and they're constantly filling and selling out of seats in that class. So the interest is certainly there. Um, it's, uh, we're tying hydroponics into that now and how they can use, like, we actually just created this really neat floating raft system that's in like the half whiskey barrels. Um, so they actually look really nice in the landscape. Um, and it's just a floating bed essentially with no running water or electric. Um, and it has like lettuce and other crops that's growing in it, just sitting right in the middle of landscape. So, um, we are trying to find ways of incorporating that, but we don't have much of an edible landscape on site at our extension office, but off site we do have a pretty, we planted a food forest about, a, about two years ago. Um, and it's a pretty decent size. It's probably about the size of our, I mean, I don't know how to compare it, but, um, I mean, it's, it's pretty large. Um, can it go be, can people visit it? Mm -hmm. It's at our 4-H farm and it's open to the public. Um, it's off of baseline road. I don't know the exact address off the top of my head, but it's a Marion or Marion County 4-H farm. And it's pretty neat. It's a food forest, but it's all really young. So like they planted it in the middle of this field. So it doesn't look like a forest yet, but yes. the goal is that it's one day. It will be. Forest. <laughs> so, so is that like neat. by the um, landfill? Yep. It's near the landfill. Yep. And, um, and it was really neat because we got to walk, uh, work with Dr. Gail Hansen um, with UF, who has created many of the demonstration gardens at extension offices across the state um, and designed those. Um, and she designed it and they, the original idea was it was going to look like a giant aerial four leaf clover. Oh, okay. And so they made the one big circle. It was going to be four different stages and that one big circle. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty huge. And the amount of work and trying to find volunteers to help maintain that has oh, been that's, see, that's the thing that I was thinking about. Um, demo gardens are one thing when you're, if you're doing pollinators or, you know, theme gardens, yeah. But, you know, edible gardens, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of dedication. Yeah, I will say in terms of our edible garden, it's a lot of, um, we have a lot of fruit bearing trees, mulberries, low plots. Um, we have a, a vineyard in it, uh, pineapple guava. And then we also have some Florida friendlies in there. Uh, we have a lot of African basil as well or African blue basil, excuse me. And uh, pollinators. Yeah. Yeah. Track pollinators. We have the micro irrigation installed, which is meant to be for the trees. It's, it's going to be a temporary thing until they're pretty well established, which they pretty much are at this point. Um, and then we have some citrus trees in there. Some of the new varieties that UF has created, the um, sugar bell uh, tangerine and the fingerling limes. And so it's pretty neat, but uh, I would say the biggest uh, time consuming part to that is are the weeds and controlling the weeds for the most part it's not so bad because we have a pretty good uh mulch layer on there uh, and the irrigation of course is right at the base of each plant so it's not like broadcast irrigation attracting more weeds but we do have because it's in a field a lot of those weeds try to creep in and as the county mowers come mow we have to get them to make sure they're blowing the <laughs> the mowing debris the opposite direction and so but for the most part, it's been okay. But we know adding on another part of the clover uh, would require a lot more, um, a lot more volunteer hours. So, do you have hands, head, heart, or right? Right now, it's just the one quadrant. So, uh, whichever <laughs> quadrant you want to choose, it's just the one circle. <laughs> so, 
And I think but they're gonna. It always concerns me if you know you're you doing permaculture. If you don't have somebody who's taking care of it, it's not just the weeding. It's um, you know, harvesting before rodents get there. That is, you know, something that I would. Be Absolutely. Yeah, and I will say that is one difference between what we have. So ours is is pretty much being or serving as a demonstration garden. So mm -hmm. a lot of what we have growing out there, if we're out there, then we will harvest it and we'll give it away, do what we are going to do with it. Mm -hmm. But um, for the most part, it's it's pretty much being offered to the wildlife that's out there. But if you're growing your own edible landscape and your own permaculture, then obviously you're trying to benefit as much as you can from that. So it certainly would require a lot more work. Um, like, I mean, as you mentioned, like the pruning, the great, I mean, the grapes alone, pruning your vineyards, that takes a while. Um, so there is a lot to it. Um, and that's part of what we're trying to do as well, make sure it, it is staying up to par so it can serve as a true demonstration. And Corey asked who are Pasco or Hernando small farms IFAS person is. And the answer to that is Matt Smith. And I went ahead and put his email address there. Is it just so, Smith? It's not M Smith? Nope, that is his um, email address. Okay. Right off his business card. Right, right <laughs> okay, I believe you. Okay. <laughs> now he's a multi-county, so mm -hmm. you know, not always easy to get a hold of. <clears throat> and we've never gotten him on here either. So I'm just gonna have to try a little harder. Yeah. <laughs> and send him the link every week until he joins us yes he would be good he's very interesting he, he's um he's involved with people um growing hops in hernando county and that's never been done before you know for all the craft beer you know thing is big right now as well and he's involved with some cannabis growing in other counties. Hops and hemp. Well. Yeah, hops and hemp. I'm sure there are <laughs> other things he does as well. So yeah, he works with other crops also. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just not as fun as we make it sound. <laughs> well, I know yeah, that we do have small so. growers here who who do strawberries. You pick strawberries. You pick blueberries. Oh yeah, blackberries. Been for years, they they really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, oh no, Corey, as far as I know, he doesn't do poppies. <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't grow those here. <laughs> we don't have the right conditions. <laughs> you have any other questions going on here? So if it, yeah, if anybody has well, Corey any had questions, comments. When he gets the strawberry starts, they look dead. Is that fairly typical? I mean, I I would say it would be dependent on where you get them from. The ones we've always got have done really well. Um, they might like lay over just a little bit um, in terms of like building up their turgor pressure and their strength in the plant. But after a few days, they normally pop right up and we have had problems with them. Uh, of course, I've gotten I don't. I don't know that I've ever bought any strawberry plugs from any box store. I've almost always have bought them from Vertigrow myself since I started growing strawberries. And that's both for my hydroponic towers as well as what I would buy for myself and grow at home in my raised beds. And I didn't ever have problems with them. 
so definitely keep that in mind. And you know, one thing I always tell everybody is uh, when you go to buy any plants, whether it's strawberries, you know, herbs, whatever, or even ornamental plants for your yard and you find them in the store, it's very tempting when you see stuff on clearance or on sale and you're like, oh, I can bring this back to life. But the thing is you're bringing back whatever's wrong with that plant. You're bringing it right back to your garden and to your landscape. So always keep that in mind. It might be tempting to buy something that's on sale or something that's cheap, but just keep in mind that you could be bringing something back to your garden that's already doing really well and you don't want to bring something back as tempting as it can be to buy those crops that are cheaper. But I would definitely say in, in terms of buying a healthy crop, try to find someone, whether it's there, wherever you're at, whichever county you're in, uh, if you can find a local grower who's growing it, um, that would be my first bet. Um, hopefully they're they're taking care of it and doing pretty well. Even if you can go directly to um, some of the wholesalers and buy from them, sometimes they allow you to buy from them as opposed to buying it from the box stores that they distribute to. Um, if that's an option, I would certainly look into that as well. Unfortunately, a lot of times when they get into the garden centers, you know, there's so many plants there and they don't have the time to focus on every plant to make sure that it's a, a truly right. high quality sellable plant. And that's a very good idea to go and visit. Um, you know, we have, as Bill mentioned, um, a couple, you know, several small farmers, but so go visit them. Usually, you know, they, they are engaging in agritourism. So they have their times when they're open and selling their crops or having you picks and stuff. And we know at least a couple of the farmers here do and you know when they're not extremely busy they do enjoy sharing <laughs> you know um what they've been through so that that is a very you know good option just mm -hmm. like when i tell people at for with florida friendly um you know we, we encourage a lot of native plants and stuff but they're not the easiest things to find so what i say is the best way to find native plants is to become involved with people who love native plants, you know, join your native plant society or make friends with native plant enthusiasts. Therefore, they will help you find where they are or they'll share with you, you know, that it's the networking and the connections mm -hmm. that helps you. Yeah, and there's native plant societies. I mean, there are groups that you could join to get more information on it. And they tend, they, they have plant sales, people will mm -hmm. trade plants. Yes. Um, our master garden nursery, I mean, we don't carry every native plant, every plant that's native to Central Florida, but they do have a wide variety of them. They Things do. that you're you're never going to find at a big box store or most of the other nurseries. And that that um, basil that you mentioned, the African uh, blue basil. Yeah, they sell that too, and I've got a couple of those. Man, mm -hmm. do they smell wonderful! Oh my gosh, <laughs> they that is. Plant, but it is a fantastic. Yeah, it's a great Florida-friendly plant, um, and it does. I mean, the fragrance alone from it. I mean, you can. I don't even know that I've ever tried to eat the basil off of it. <laughs> I just, it's a great pollinator-attracting yeah. plant. Yeah, I use it for um, pollinators. When I'm out amazing. there weeding, I find myself just running my hand up it, so I can be like, yeah. oh, that is just wonderful." Yeah, for sure. So here we got another one for Jeremy here. Basem <laughs> asks, how to treat for white flies without hurting the butterflies? I mean, I always, you know, the rule of thumb is when you have pollinators on the plants, you're not necessarily supposed to apply chemicals. 
Um, so I always try to avoid that as best as possible. But um, my method of what I do for my personal garden, as well as what we do in the gardens at our demonstration gardens, is we always try to, we focus more on preventative treatment versus reactive treatment. So um, what we try to do is early in the stage, we are always advised, um, well, I say we as in the way I've always done it in the school district I used to work for, we were always advised by UF to treat preventative, preventatively with safe pesticides. So there's one in particular that I like to use called Dipel. It's in fact, it's an organic pesticide, but it's so safe that there's no, um, I'm trying to remember the correct terminology, but how often you're allowed to spray it. You can spray it as often as needed. It's not technically a true chemical. What it is, it produces a smell that insects do not like, um, and it keeps them off there. However, once you have insects on the plants and they find that it's a feeding source, you can spray that all day long and they're not leaving at all. Um, so what I do is typically when I plant any type of crops in the ground, I apply within the first three weeks, I spray my plants down with Dipel or another organic. I also have used um, Garden Safe, which you can find in, or Captain Jack's, which you can find in Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, and I just spray it and then I wait about another six weeks and then I apply one more time. And normally I don't have problems throughout the season. Um, and that kind of keeps me from having to deal with white flies. Um, because part of my problem is personally at my home, well, actually, even at our demonstration garden, our vegetable plots are located very close to our pollinator gardens. And so I don't want the bees, the butterflies, anything to be affected by, with what we spray. So um, the beauty of using those preventative sprays that are safe, whether you're an organic gardener or a conventional gardener, um, they're safe for the pollinators as well. Um, those, that dipel is not going to affect the pollinators at all, but it will keep the pollinators off of the plants. That's the only, the only problem you have with that. So depending on what you're growing, if you are dependent on pollinators for pollination, then, um, that could be a problem. You just have to be, you know, look into that a little bit more, but with what I'm typically growing, that's not a problem. Even with my squash and zucchini, I have, I have found even after spraying preventatively, I have had butterflies, and many bees um, come to my squash flowers and have not had a problem with it. So um, what would you say, Bill? Yeah, a lot of times, uh, well, it all depends on exactly what you're growing and what you're planning on spraying it with. <clears throat> Something you could do is uh, go ahead and physically spray it like at dawn or at sunset, you know, definitely when the bees are not out there active mm -hmm. because you wouldn't want to spray a plant that's in full bloom and covered with bees at noon when all the bees are out because almost anything that you spray is going to have some kind of adverse effect on bees. Mm -hmm. Some things have a very, very adverse effect on bees and butterflies and pollinators. So timing, you're spraying. Um, and other than that, it really comes down to exactly what plant you're trying to treat and what the issue might be with bees or butterflies. I, we get the question with um, milkweeds a lot. Because mm -hmm. everybody wants to grow milkweeds to have um, monarch butterfly monarch. caterpillars feeding on them. But then everybody flips out when they get the oleander aphids on them. They're the bright orange little, I mean, you can see them 20 feet away, aphids. And then later in the summer, the milkweed bugs... Every and, time I try to get a picture of a monarch, I inadvertently get a couple of those aphids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, milkweed is tough as nails. 
It yeah. can have caterpillars eating That's leaves. The it can have aphids. It. it can have yeah. milkweed bugs. And you don't don't think that because you have bugs on your plant, you have to spray. In some instances, your plants are so tough that you really don't need to. Mm -hmm. Just leave, you know, leave the aphids. You, know, you get ladybugs to eat the aphids. Who right. knows what I do? It's called scout and cut it off. <laughs> the bad area is cut it off and throw it away. Throw yeah, it and away. we always... Oh, go ahead, Bill. Oh, for larger things like caterpillars, individual caterpillars, I'm not going to go out and mix up spinosad or bt or anything like that i'm just going to pick the caterpillar off and throw it over the fence mm -hmm. in the neighbor's yard i hope that i was thinking about this earlier this morning i hope that bill's neighbors never tunes into <laughs> or he's going to start to have a whole bunch of more things thrown back into his yard well you know we always tell our clients when they come in too is remember the goal isn't necessarily to rid your plants a hundred percent of the pests um like have it's okay and there needs to be an acceptable level and, and everybody has to decide that for themselves, you know, but there should be an acceptable level of seeing some of these pests. You know, if it's getting to a point where it is out of control and you can't just mechanically remove them, you know, then maybe you need to start considering a different alternative. But, you know, there should certainly be an acceptable threshold for those plants because you're going to see them no matter what you're going to see them. And you're but the goal is to keep them at bay. <laughs> your beneficials do need something to eat. Right. So. Corey always has great oh, nice. um, recipe ideas. <laughs> we always, before the end of the hour, veer off into sharing recipes. And we still <laughs> haven't touched on the topic of poo yet today. So, I, I, If we have time, I have a little game I want to show you. And it will, it will play into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Now you're very interested, huh? <laughs> yes, I am. And Alicia is here from Orange County. See, we get people from all over the place awesome. on here. Hi, Alicia. Hey, is anybody watching us right now from Marion County? If you put in the chat box that you are. Okay. And Alicia said, the hurricane beat my container garden up. I'm trying to save my plants. I have leaf miners on my tomatoes. Easy problem to take care of. Because tomatoes always get some leaf miners. So if it's just a few leaf miners, you can live with that because your plants are always going to get them. It's not a huge mm -hmm. problem. The one product that you can get that works very well on leaf miners, and it's really about the only thing that is effective on them, is any product that contains spinosad Ooh, or spinosad. <laughs> I'm learning from you, Bill. <laughs> and that is a naturally occurring bacteria that they found on the site of an old rum distillery somewhere in the Caribbean. I think that's the backstory to it. And they found a bacteria and it killed certain insects. Yay. So they figured out a way to take it and make it shelf stable, put it into a jug so that they could sell it to you and you can mix it up and spray it. The one product name I know that contains that is the Captain Jack's Dead Bug. Brew. That's why they call it Captain Jack's because it's made from rum. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's not made from rum. It's made from the site of an old rum factory. Okay. <laughs> now, we don't recommend using rum on the plants. I don't know what that's going to do to them. It's going to harm them or not. 
alcohol probably would be. May, I'll have to look into that one, but yeah. probably yeah. not good for them. And it is organic um, chemical yeah. too. It's labeled for organic use and commercial growers. I've seen 55 gallon drums of it. So they use a lot. They've used it for years. Wow. Because it works well. Oh, Lee lost um, tomatoes from the storm. Um, oh, we didn't see Lee last week either. She must have been without electricity at I that time. Lee was on here. Okay, we got Vicky. Uh, see, we got Vicky from Pasco. Everybody just put in where you're from. So we got. So we can impress Jeremy here with like a wide <laughs> I'm already impressed. I'm already impressed. <laughs> yeah, um, Buddy's from Leon County. He's tunes in every week. Um, we have Lee is from Broward County. County. Lee's from Broward. That's right. Um, Corey's from just into Pasco. Um, we got people, and then then we have Hernando County. <laughs> people as well yeah we do have some people from hernando that tune in here also yes. <laughs> that's probably oh, your neighbor on, but not on <laughs> okay and sometimes yeah when you come in via facebook you we only see you as facebook user so we we don't know who you are at that point <laughs> yeah because yeah. this is live on our office facebook page and we have a private gardening Facebook group and also my YouTube. It gets saved on YouTube as a video. Obviously, it gets saved on both Facebooks as videos. I'm able to download just the audio from today and put it up on Anchor. <clears throat> so we have a um, podcast. So we, we're podcast people as well. And we're, we're all, does it go anywhere else? Or? I don't know. It's your thing. It's hard <laughs> to keep track of sometimes. Mm. Well, do you want to see this this game I have created? I'm going to a school today. Sure. So this is a compost bin. <laughs> Just so you Ooh. know that. Small we're gonna, one. Oh, okay. We're going to pretend it doesn't have a bottom. <laughs> so I'm going to a school today with Carmen, um, our recycling coordinator in the county. And I'm going to show them this compost bin, and it has a lid. This compost bin smells a whole lot like coffee. That's really weird. But <laughs> we're going to play this game of what should go in and what should not go in. And for time purposes, you can tell me whether it's a carbon or a nitrogen. If anybody watching wants to type in really quick a guess... <laughs> I know what it is. Okay, for time purposes. It's, we... it's the hibiscus that Lily planted in her yard. <laughs> it's dead. It's <laughs> now a good carbon source. It's, it's this, the branches are good carbon. Very good. So that goes in. Let's see. What do we have here? Oh, here's an interesting one. <laughs> Yep, Lee had it that it was carbon. I think she means the branches, but we'll go with the paper towels <laughs> as well. So oh, it looked like toilet paper there at first, and I, was, I wasn't yeah, sure which direction to go with that. Okay. We've been talking about this. So the person who lost um, her tomatoes, Alicia, here's something you can do with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is this carbon or a nitrogen? Nitrogen. <laughs> okay. I'll just do a few more because I have a lot. 
more. Let's see. I promised you something. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so does dog poo go into the compost bin? Oh, yeah, somebody says okay, here, somebody got it. No, very good. That does not we have a winner. <laughs> yeah, let's see. We'll add this one too. <laughs> <laughs> Either one, does the litter or the kitty go into? Well, I would hope we're not discussing putting the kitty. The kitty. <laughs> we're not. Come on, yeah, we're talking about that. Here. How about this one? Hard to show at the camera. So the answer? Leaves. Leaves. We're not talking about putting the child in. No. <laughs> leaves. It just gets oh, better. Leaves, leaves are like bags full of gold. <laughs> I wish I had access to more leaves to grind up and compost and put in the vegetable garden. Over and over and over and over. And the more you do that, the prettier your soil eventually becomes. Um, Facebook user says leaves are good, and Lee says they are carbons. Very good. Let me find one more nitrogen that you're allowed to put in. <laughs> oh, Corey's learned a little bit about different pathogens, toxoplasmosis. How about, oh, okay. How about this one? <laughs> Watermelon rinds? Yes. Watermelon rinds, do they go in? Nitrogen, very good. Brenda says, yes, good. I had a feeling Facebook user was Brenda. And I have a whole bunch more of these that we'll be showing the kids today. I am going um, to the school that has a micro society that is a 4-H club. The entire micro society in that school is a 4-H club. Wow. And they do concentrate on um, farming and things like that. But it's hard to see, but I will be... See, I am wearing, I am Leafy Lily. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the nitrogen. I have green pants on. <laughs> and um, Carmen, hopefully, will remember to wear his brown clothes. So he will be Carbon Carmen. And after we discuss what goes in the compost bin and what doesn't, then we will discuss if they are a carbon or a nitrogen, a brown or a green. So, well, Vicki wants to know, can you put magnolia tree leaves in compost? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Magnolia leaves are very, very large and very waxy, though. Yeah, they're going to so take a really long time. If you grind them up, if you put yeah. them in a big pile and run a lawnmower over them, that's a great, easy way to grind up leaves. Oak leaves, it helps if you grind them up also. Maple leaves are fine on their own. You can grind them up. Doesn't hurt them. Mm -hmm. um there's two schools of thought about um, leaves what to do with them now we don't get as many as up north at least not right now we are more likely to get a whole bunch of oak leaves in the spring mm -hmm. when the live oaks push all the old leaves off when they have their new leaves but there's two schools of thought but they both go towards don't throw them away one of them is grinding them up and mulching them you know, that's good for the soil and for your compost pile. The other is leave them alone because there are pollinators trying to overwinter under them and they don't want you, you know, 
you know, disturbing them. So I would say where there are sites where you, your yard has to be kept looking at a certain standard for your neighborhood, you know, um, rake those up or whatever and use those for mulch or even in your compost pile. But in the other areas where you can, leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> and raking them up and throwing them in flower beds and especially like hedges and you know, beds where you have larger plant material, like Jeremy does, is a great idea. It breaks down. It sure. yours probably disappear by what July or August. Ours, I mean, ours breaks down pretty fast. I mean, yeah. so and especially like I, I was just thinking as you were talking about the mulcher or mulching. Um, I know an, an ag teacher here in Marion County who um, they have in their little land lab area four huge sycamore trees. And if you know anything about sycamores, they drop all their huge leaves on the ground. And um, what they do is they have an open pile outside, so it's not actually closed in. Um, but they bought this like mulcher that stands, you know, maybe three feet high or so. And the kids use these things and they just drop the leaves in them and it mulches them all up into a bucket mm -hmm. below. And they just dump it right on top of the pile. And the first year this teacher started there about maybe five years ago, um, he bought one container of earthworms from Walmart, like the fishing worms, and he poured it on top of that. And to this day, they only put those leaves in there. And then there are some students who sit out at the picnic tables during lunch will throw their apple cores or banana peels in there. Um, and that is all they put in that pile. And it is the, probably the richest compost i've ever seen in my life and he gets so much of it and piles it all into their garden their garden just does absolutely fantastic and i mean it's just it i mean it is beautiful compost you can just stick your hand right into it and pull up, like tons of earthworms with every handful and, and vegetables love that you will have the most productive garden if you're able to create that kind of soil absolutely well, this, this school works in this micro society they have the farmers um, growing the compost, and they grew some beautiful compost. They more beautiful than I've ever grown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, beautiful compost, and then they sell it with their uh, you know special school dollars that they have. They sell it to the um, other group who are growing strawberries. <laughs> so they sell the soil to them. It's it's kind of it's really pretty cool. Yeah. So Alicia is trying to fill a raised bed for cheap. And no matter how you spell it, <laughs> cheap is still good. I'm cheap. Yes. I'm not thrifty. I'm cheap. Well, lots of leaves will, you know, put those on the bottom <laughs> to fill up a lot of space. Um, that'll help. Yeah. And there is, um, if you've ever uh, heard of, I can't, I don't know the exact saying of it. We were actually just talking about this in our master gardener training yesterday, but there is a method called lasagna uh, gardening, mm -hmm. and um, it it's basically based around the idea of that in Mother Nature, the foundation, your soil, um, is built based on layers of everything that has just fallen on top. And so it kind of gives an idea of how you can create um, a, a nice raised bed and fill in a lot of that space. And they say basically like of your like let's say you have a 12 inch raised bed at least half of it should be compost um and so in whatever your height is half of it should be compost but it really talks about it, it basically layers it with cardboard at the bottom and then um, you can put sticks and debris and things in there and then um, some like news black and white newspaper 
things of that nature. But it's really neat um, if you look into it. It's called lasagna yeah, uh, gardening. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and all those things are going to break down. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. put twigs and sticks and shred of paper and everything in and then plant your tomato plants in it tomorrow. So right. It's going to break down. But mm-hmm. it is a really good, effective way if you're patient to, to layer it and get all the different ingredients in there. And you have brought up in some of the compost classes, Bill, this interesting concept of trench composting. Yeah, um, a lot of people will do that. And, and the th- since we're gardening in Florida, things break down all year long. Up mm-hmm. north, it's a little bit different. But down here, the microbes are out and at work every day, year round, breaking things down. You can dig uh, a shallow trench down through your garden and just throw raw vegetable materials, shredded leaves, pine needles, whatever, cover it back up with dirt, and it's going to break down pretty quickly. In my vegetable garden, I have uh, like four-foot-wide beds and then walkways. The walkways, because we get this nonstop stream of people delivering Amazon stuff at our house, I always have plenty of cardboard. So I put down cardboard and grass clippings, and I put the grass clippings down like a foot deep blocks all the weeds and over time it breaks down and I have to add more and do it again, breaks down, add more and do it again. After a year or two, my walkway is just nice, deep compost. I throw that up onto the beds and start all over again with fresh cardboard and grass clippings. So you can sheet compost, you can trench compost, you can take stuff and just bury it in a hole out back. It's not gonna break down by tomorrow but it will break down pretty quickly so that things can be planted on top of it or in it. Mm-hmm. And now, since some people have so many debris from the storm, Alicia said uh, she had a lot of debris from trees, <clears throat> so she really can't plant now. She wanted to plant this fall. Depends well, on the fall. tree debris to start your soil for next time <laughs> when you can plant. Put those at the bottom of those beds, you know, to start that layering effect. Put the cardboard, the Amazon cardboard, like Bill said, on the bottom. And start with some of that tree debris. Let it break down for a while. You, maybe, hopefully, you can start then a, um, a spring garden um, in uh, March or so. Yeah, it yeah. takes time to build the soil up. I'm still nowhere near there. I, I, just, I keep putting stuff into it, and it's like... I still have just sand. Yes, uh, Corey, fishes, and, and I mean, yes, that is what we learned to. Um, if I were to use fish, I would do the trench composting. I would bury it. We don't encourage fish or anything like that in our home compost bin, which are much bigger than this. But okay, um, just because of the. Uh, Attractive that um, and also, it, it depends. if you have a big hot compost pile, right, right. A general, you um, can, if you have a big comp, hot compost pile where it's like, I don't know, half leaves and half grass clippings, and it's 160 degrees, you could open up a hole in it, you could throw in a fish, you could throw in chunks of, you know, watermelon rind, whatever you want. Cover it back up, and in about two days, you'll never find it again. 
Right. You have a nice big hot compost pile. It just it hooks everything up. The composting that we talk about with the static bins that we give yeah. out is a cold composting process. It helps with your daily life. Is actually literally what I um, use in the kitchen is a unpainted <laughs> coffee can for the the used coffee and grinds with the filter, banana peels, whatever. And it builds up. I take it out. I dump it in the compost bin. So it's a slow cold composting. It's never going to heat up enough to kill the pathogens and the things that yeah, and if you have a bin or a pile like that and you throw too much fish in, it's going to get fishy and the raccoons are going to find it, the possums, yeah. everybody's yeah. going to find it. Mm -hmm. Your yeah. neighbors are going to find it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Lee sent you some peppers to your email, but we're, we're running out of time at the moment. Yeah, we are. And I don't have my email open on the correct page here. Maybe you can address her um, on her own. Did you yeah. see that when I sent you? I sent I email. I forwarded you something that was a question about a vegetable. Oh yeah, the the lettuce one. Yeah. That one was tricky. It looked like spinach to me. <laughs> no, it was lettuce. Was it lettuce? Okay. Did you answer her? No. People think I'm ignoring them, Bill. You need to answer her. Here, hold on a second. Here, let me try to share it. Let's see, where is it? I'm going to answer that lady that I forwarded it to you so so she can know you're the one holding off. <laughs> can you see a picture of a lettuce leaf now? No, we only see your email. Oh. We see where you tried to open it, but it didn't. Oh, for a second we saw it. There's a flash of it. <laughs> yeah, when I closed it. <laughs> No, I'll try to figure that one out. Oh, we got a big. Okay, yeah, I'm going to stop sharing things at the bottom, not the top. Okay, okay. StreamYard is confusing <laughs> me today. Um, I'm going to forward that picture to Jeremy because he grows and kills lots of lettuce. And <laughs> I have done many. Something <laughs> damaging just the surface of her lettuce leaf almost looks like first instar caterpillar might have scratched scratched on it or maybe something else i have no okay, idea okay i'm going to let her know that two very you okay. agents are on her case <laughs> <laughs> so if you have any other really difficult questions just please be sure to send them all to lily because she has and... a forward button <laughs> <laughs> If anybody has any follow-up questions for Jeremy, there's his email. You can send him the not as difficult ones. And if you just <laughs> want to share about how much you enjoy tuning into the virtual plant clinic, you're more than welcome to email me. Oh yeah, we, we'll send that to our bosses. We like those. <laughs> and Jeremy, and of course, and, give you the address um, of where that 
baby food forest is for people who want to get ideas for that as well and want to take a day trip up to Ocala. Yeah, yeah. a lot of interest in food forests and being being more sustainable, being able to support yourself and your family much better. Mm -hmm. And the greenhouse like you have behind you is what we should all aspire to. <laughs> it would be amazing. But yeah, if you're interested in going to the food forest, just feel free to send me an email and I can respond with the um, address to that place. So it is really neat. Corey has a good idea there. Um, well, you can't go to the Newport Ritchie one if you live in Pasco. Um, and yeah, the same. Alicia, you can't go you, to the Spring Hill. You have you have to go to your counties. You mm -hmm. know whatever kind of landfill situation that they have. We do have two transfer stations, as well as our main landfill. And you can ask for the composted yard waste. Um, you do have to be careful because that is what everybody brought in. So it's got everything mixed in it. Could be trash it could be invasives you know so you, you do have to be careful with that but it is a great cheap way to to fill up a bed too if you can ask them to get you the fines from the bottom you're doing even better and very last question of the day oh because we're a little bit over i was just about to say we're doing really good with time management but not so we good. Never do. Good with time management. alicia <laughs> she has spots on her snake plants and well, the snake plants the sansevieria is that what she's referring to i'm sure oh, probably yeah that's what i'm thinking they're also Maybe. called mother-in-law's tongues yeah 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 probably uh, could be even you didn't overwater them but maybe the rain bounced back up on them depending on where they are they'll grow in a clump or a patch and you tend it, it technically it's an invasive plant mm -hmm. so don't let it get loose in a, a empty lot or out in the woods but if you have any really bad looking individual shoots you can always cut them off at ground level mm -hmm. and just stick with the newer ones which are hopefully not spotted due to their invasive nature they are hard to kill so, yeah, but oh, yeah. Seen, they're, they're not going to like die from any problem all on their own. They're invasive. They'll always come back. Yeah. And they can go months and months without watering and <laughs> and be perfectly fine. So, yeah, I was just thinking today I need to shoot video and pictures. I have air potato vines in my office. And a master gardener brought in about five grocery store bags of bulb bills she found like last, it must have been last February, maybe March. And I dropped them on the floor of my office. And I'm not here an awful lot. And they haven't moved. The plants grew from the bulb bills out of the bags. They're climbing up my lights. I've had to prune them back a few times. They've never gotten leaves because my office is normally too dark. I have a light on. That's why I don't look like I'm in a coal mine. Normally it's like a coal mine in here. And I got a bunch of vines, no leaves, haven't had any leaves since last February or March. But you know what it is making on it? Bulbils. Wow. The air potatoes. Little tiny air potatoes all over it. So it's that that energy from that starch of those potatoes. It's mm -hmm. all it needs. 
So if you want to plant that you don't have to water, you don't have to plant. <laughs> you don't listen. La, la, la. Okay, it's time to end the program. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, but it's technically not dead. And at this point, it's like, well, I'm never moving that. I just want to see how no, long I can keep this going. You know, one day we might have to, you know, retrieve Bill from his office, bring your uh, loppers with you. So <laughs> no, the vines all summer long kept heading towards the window never got there but yeah they're i mean it's growing vines i don't i can't imagine how much stored energy it had in those bulbils initially but it's not run out of them yet it's crazy yeah okay well hey everyone thank you so much for tuning in this week i think we're going to wrap it up for this week and let jeremy get back to work and <laughs> I'll, like i said i'll yeah. go ahead and forward you that picture of no, lettuce plant if it if you have an idea of what's going on. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And Lily, were you planning on being back here again next week? To the best of my knowledge, yes. What is next? Okay. I have a conference I have to go to up in Citrus, a mandatory training. So I won't be here. <laughs> All right. I guess I'm doing it then. So so it's on it's on you. Um Find a guest. <laughs> you know, Bernie's here every Thursday. Yeah. And people like Bernie. We, I have to figure out something. Okay. Yeah. Bernie's one of our master gardeners, and he's our newest uh, virtual star, basically. So. <laughs> they do. They miss Bernie after a while. Oh. And if you really need a Bernie fix, if you go to Hernando County Government YouTube... <laughs> <laughs> or my Facebook page and look up Turf Talk with Bernie. Um, I did that with him beginning. What is this? So at the end of oh, the 21st of September, but it's recorded. And um, great talk with Bernie about turf and his 17 years of experience as a master gardener and the phone duty and everything. And you will learn a whole lot about turf. So, and if you need a Bernie Fix, <laughs> that's the time. <laughs> he, he, he pulls out all the classic Bernies <laughs> in that program. So, so. Okay. Thanks again, everybody, and be sure to tune in next week because somebody will be here. We're not really positive <laughs> yet, but somebody will be here talking about something. So. Oh, buddy says I'm going to be here, so I guess mm -hmm. I, I don't worry about it. I know it's all in good hands. You can handle it. It'll it'll all work out just fine. Okay, well, thanks again, everybody. And we will see you again next week. Until then, everybody take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.